Tom Worcester is the founder and CEO of Lunchbox, which is now one of the leaders in wearable gear built to improve live event experiences. In addition, Tom serves as a community advisor to high growth software startups like Northbeam that live at the intersection of online retail and digital commerce and hosts an exclusive dinner series called Operators Only. In this episode, we cover Tom's entrepreneurial journey in New York, building businesses with multiple synergies, mental health, and the personal sacrifices needed to build a company. Welcome back. I'm really excited today. We got Tom Worcester from Lunchbox with us. Tom, welcome to the pod. Always good to be here, Ben. So the thing about Tom is I feel like we always have conversations that I think in my mind are like worthy of being recorded. Yeah. Tom is one of my friends where we can go down these super philosophical rabbit holes, have really interesting conversations, learn a lot. I learn a lot of things every time we talk, so I'm excited for him to join us because I think I think there's a lot of ways this can go, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one. Um Tom, I was thinking about this, like where do we start with this conversation? And the thing that I have to start on is the line of work that you're in with your business requires you to travel so much. So your ability to just stay committed to what you're doing and build consistency, despite the fact that your schedule every day is very inconsistent. I want to just dive a little bit deeper into that. Like what is, what does a day in the life look like for Tom? So, you know, what's funny is, uh, when the whole entrepreneurial journey started, part of it was a commitment of like, I wanted every day to be different. And then I was like, all right, well, what careers are available to me that will allow me to have a day that's different every single day? Um, that has been true. It's also very hectic. Um, so for, for context, for the listeners at home, uh, I run a business called Lunchbox. We're in the live music space, and we create a lot of the anti-theft bags, fanny packs that you might see at a festival. Main idea is we want to help you know, secure that $1,000 phone, get into venue security, stay hydrated if appropriate, and ultimately express yourself. And so over the last five years, we've been fortunate to build a large community around this brand. But because it's been so communal, we have a responsibility to show up to these events and activate and host meetups and meet our influencers and create content and that kind of creates the base of our ecosystem. So to answer your question about the commitment, I think a lot of it is understanding how are you fundamentally keeping your routine even when you're out of routine. And so for me, that's about, okay, like every plane is an opportunity to catch up on work. Every car ride that's over 30 minutes, I'm popping open my computer and I'm hotspotting. Like I'm trying to find every single little gap. And then beyond that, it's like I understand what my goals are going into each week. So even if it's chaotic, I know where I need to be at the end of the week that allows me to say, okay, like this is a good and positive week. And then the thing I, I really hold myself accountable to is um, in my weekly review, which I complete every single week, it keeps me sane, um, is actually the idea of does Tom at 45, would Tom at 45 be proud of the way I spent my time this week? And that's kind of like my bullshit meter, right? Was he proud this week? Okay, great. Check that box. If not, what, what went wrong that I need to kind of adjust into the next week? And so it's kind of like this iterative cycle of like knowing what I need to be doing, being genuinely excited about variety from a day-to-day -day basis. But then at the, on the flip side of it is also being super, super accountable to, am I actually doing the things that I said I was going to do? Because it can be very easy to get lost. And what are, what are the non-negotiables on a day-to-day -day basis or weekly basis where it's like, I don't care what happens or what anyone says, like these things need to happen no matter what? Yeah, I'd say probably like my, my morning and evening routines. Uh, Which are? routines are 32 ounces of water, uh, five-minute stretch, 10-minute meditation, write my gratitude journal, and that's like my absolute base. Normally, I like to have a little bit, a little bit of learning in there and writing in there, but it really depends on the day. Evening routine is like 10-minute meditation, water by my bedside, clothes laid out. And again, like they're simple rituals, right? But they always help me prime on like I'm waking up to do something the next day and I'm shutting down in a way that helps me to turn off whatever happened. Because especially with this group, we got a lot of stuff going on and that's a wonderful thing. But at the same time, it's like 
you know, it, your mind can be racing until four in the morning. And like, and I, I've gotten 4 a.m. texts from you before. I'm sure I'll get a 4 a.m. text from, from Adrian at some so. point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for many reasons. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that, then like you can't create the separation to be able to be a thoughtful thinker when it does count in the middle of a hectic work day. When you think about those non-negotiables, morning and evening, how long did it take you to lock in like, okay, this is like my five step, six step? Um, was that just builds over time? I'm sure that's like constantly evolving even now. Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, I'm, I'm 28 now. It was a couple, like a week ago. And when I was 22, I was just like full energy in a direction. And that was it. And actually, that was roughly around when Ben and I met. We were both like that. Uh, still are. Wait, how long have you guys known each other? About five years. Yeah. It's been a good amount of time. How'd you guys meet? Uh, we met through a mutual friend in the oh. kind of like entrepreneurial community, investment community in New York. And then we hit it off just because we were both, you know, juggling five plates at once. We're like, oh, you, you do it too? I was like, wait, so you understand me? Because I haven't found many people. Like, it's so great to meet you. I had no idea you guys knew each other that long. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of moved pretty quickly, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, we made out like the second date. Yeah, you guys are pretty serious, huh? Uh, we are very serious. No, I think what's been interesting actually is that. Tom is someone who I feel like has evolved in a lot of similar ways to me at the same moments. Mm. So it's been nice to have someone who like understands what you're going through, who's kind of doing it alongside you in real time. Yeah. I'm curious within like entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial community, not just in New York, but globally, how have you cultivated that community? And also over time, like people that you meet five years ago, how do you think through this person really served me at this time or during this growth period? but also meeting new people and making time for those people as well. Yeah, that's a great, um, that's a great question. So, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a couple of different feeders into my, my worldwide entrepreneurial network. Um, I think New York is definitely the core. It's just this is a city of anxious overachievers where people are constantly <laughs> driving and pushing oh. forward. And, and you guys are, you know, both, we all, all three of us fit that definition. Um, like the, the core of New York is, I think, you know, when you come to conversations with a growth mindset and you're also willing to like share your time to help a friend crack a problem, I just think that compounds really positively into an unexpected dinner, unexpected drinks, an unexpected event that introduces you to people. And then following up with those people intentionally and thoughtfully is key. Uh, the second thing is um, I've been lucky to put together a dinner series called Operators Only over the last year and a half. And that's actually you know, led to me putting together founder tables all across the country. You know, L.A., San Diego, Nashville. We're going to be doing Austin in October, uh, several in New York. And so like that has been like centralizing people that I'm very intentional about following up with. And then the final piece of it is that, especially when I'm traveling internationally, in addition to those first two pools, I'm a big fan of just putting together groups of thoughtful people, and then people will bring other people that they think match the values of the room. So, you know, Amsterdam over our New Year's trip, we're bringing together, you know, st uh, strategy ops from local banks. We're bringing together uh, local content creators just because that's interesting for us, and then hosting those dinners in a way that really teases out who people are. So at the end of a dinner with us, and, and I'm doing this with a roommate of mine as well. But at the end of a dinner with us, we know you and then we care enough to follow up. So all of those things start to wrap up into one another. And then it's also just being deeply interested in people's lives. Now, the question you asked was, you know, when do you know when people serve you? And I think that like the caveat underneath all of this is that all the people in that circle, it's not about necessarily service, but it's about value alignment right? Do they work hard? Are they interested? Are they interesting? Are they, do, they, do they pick their head up and see what's happening in the world? And so when I think when you bring those people together, you're actually able to have more productive conversations and have very meaningful, immediate connections where you don't have to worry about like, is this person still serving me? And that's why, you know, meeting somebody like Ben is, is easy because it's like, all right, cool. We're value aligned pretty much from day one. And that just hasn't changed. 
people are like, oh, like, you know, how long have you guys known each other? It's just like, we've been value aligned for five plus years and we'll be value aligned for 50. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of thought and energy and care to be the one constantly bring people together, which I think both of you do. And not only bring people together in certain communities, like organizing literally logistics of massive events or runs or dinners, and then also making sure people are having a good time, connecting afterward. It's essentially just a lot of care, proactive care for people. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, and Ben, this question for you too. Sometimes that takes a toll of, okay, who's being proactive about Tom? Who's being proactive about Ben and making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're caught up on work? So this may go back to our conversation around non, non-negotiables, but have you ever hit, I guess, both of you points where you're like, okay, I've spent so much time connecting people, bringing people together, and I'm fucking burned out. I'm like, I got a lot of work to do. And like, who's looking out for me? I'll give you a quick answer because I'm proud of it, but I went to therapy for the first time last week. And, uh, and, then, and then also posted about it on his Instagram. Yeah, 100%. So. Because I, I, you want to know something, honestly, you know how many people responded to me who were like inquired about what it was like how they recommend getting started. Uh, I think it's something that in my mind I've thought about for years at this point. Uh, and I think I still think there's a lot of friction in the system today in the sense that I could never wrap my head around the idea of like Googling, like getting sales funneled to like the person who's going to help your mental. Like I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And yeah, you can like, you know, you can ask a friend of a friend and get intros. And then there's the concept of like, oh, but like, I have health insurance, so I might as well try and find an outlet where it's covered. Mm-hmm. Like, why pay out of pocket when you're also paying for health insurance? Um, but the thing that actually really prompted me to do that was I was talking to a mentor of mine a few months ago, and he's like, how's the business going? How big's the team? I know you're managing these people, et cetera. And then he looked at me, and he's like, but who's taking care of Ben? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, honestly, I, I don't nobody. Like, me, Definitely I guess. Me. Like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying my best. And that's when I was like just to talk to someone just for someone to listen i think for me i'm not a great writer i'm someone i think the reason i do the podcast and the reason i like media channels like this is that i'm not a great writer and so i can verbalize my thoughts much better and so having an outlet for someone even just to be a wall essentially i can like reason with myself out loud as i'm talking through the things that i'm challenged by in that moment it just like helps me realize where i can improve in my own personal life I think the one thing I took away from the first call that I had was one of the issues I face is I love the concept of journaling. Journaling makes me extremely anxious, which is so bizarre. I think the reason for that is that my mind moves at a million miles a minute. And so when I start writing with a pen, I like can't get it out of me fast enough and it stresses me out. Like literally the act of like, it takes me so long to write something down. So then I started typing and I still felt the same thing. And she was like, why don't you just go for a walk and just record yourself and talk and just transcribe it? And I was like, wow, I never, as simple as it sounds, I'm like, wow, I never thought of that. It's a really interesting idea. So I think to tie it back together for me, it's being proactive and just like poking holes in your own daily life and like figuring out where are there deficiencies and where are things causing problems for yourself and figuring out how you can make incremental improvements every day. Because I do believe in like daily compounding habits. Good. What about you? I think, uh, well, I think Ben nailed a lot of the key ones, right? It's like, if um if you think about us as like a car engine for example and you, you know we're flooring the gas at some point it gets overheated and so like what are the things that are allowing us to cool off that chamber and so i mean i've been nailed it with uh and i'll share some of mine but journaling is huge like you know if i have an idea banging around in my head like i have to write it out in order to like settle it otherwise it I'm every be, morning or every evening or uh, i'd say like at least every two days yeah. um sometimes just you don't have enough time in the day um I also am completely ed- uh, echoing the long walks where you're just dictating to your phone to just get through like the rough raw material of an idea. I use otter.ai to do so and it's, it's just phenomenal. 
Um, I would also echo therapy. I think um, therapy is something that I recently started. Um, and the leadership implications of therapy have been blowing my mind. In more. what sense? Um, I mean, guys, like, so I think there are a couple of different big buckets. Um, but the first is that, especially in like in psychotherapy, we learn about what's called ego states. And so our our brain and the way we perceive the world, we see it in three ego states. There's the adult ego state, which is kind of like our rational side. So if you're solving a math problem or setting your phone number backwards, that's the adult ego state. Then you have your parent ego state. Your parent ego state uses language like you should do this, you should do that. Your parent is like you telling yourself what to do and kind of making sure that you've got guardrails. And the third and final one is the child ego state. The child ego state is where we, where we play, we're inspired, we're creatively enthused. But the child's also a little bit immature sometimes. And so there's a relationship between all three. And so number one, understanding what ego state that you are in in management situations is incredibly helpful. Like, am I in the right headspace for this conversation? I'm about to fire an employee. I'm about to have a, a performance review. I'm about to like lead a team meeting. Am I in the right space for that? And then the second thing is understanding that like what ego state is the person that I'm talking to in, right? Is my feedback going to be received as a parent talking to a child? Is my feedback going to be received as an adult talking to an adult? And there are ways that we can use our language and our nonverbal cues to actually guide that. And I think for me, it, was, it made me realize that oftentimes if I was giving feedback, maybe it wasn't coming across the way I wanted it to. Or when, you know, I, I wasn't gut checking where I was at going into a feedback session like that. And so it's making me hyper aware of not just like where I am and like where my locus is, but also where the, you know, the, the locus is of my team and my partners and my advisors. But I wouldn't have gotten that insight if not for therapy walking me through some of those thinking frameworks. So that would be one example. The other example is I think that you know, we are all conditioned by the way we've grown up. And so whether it is our parents, whether it is you know, that old soccer coach, whether it's like that old teacher, we inherited some thought patterns and conditioning from those people. And I think therapy allows you to look at those thought patterns and ask the question that you asked earlier, Adrian, which is, do these serve me? And actually, most of the time, they don't or they need to be tweaked. And so I've really enjoyed going through different logic patterns and saying, OK, like, how can I think about this in a better way, in a slower way, in a more thoughtful way as a result? So a lot of really huge benefits there. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is fucking great. I haven't done uh, therapy yet. I'm intrigued. I want to hear about your. But like, but like do, it, do it with a leadership perspective. And, and, and that, that, yeah. that was like, you know, I, I pay out of pocket. I, I found a, I found a, what is that? Boy? Yeah, mine, mine isn't, mine is definitely less leadership and more just like Ben's a kid, like what's on your mind? What do you need to solve? Yeah. I think for me, there's levels to it. Like start somewhere and you can grow into something more like sophisticated, no, that's but it's right. very surface level right now. Tom, we're just talking about specific habits and things that serve you now versus things that haven't served you in the past. What are a handful of things that you do today? Maybe yesterday, even as an example. Were there things that I'm sure there's top of mind for you that like, I'm not sure if this is going to serve future Tom in a year or just things that have been top of mind that, you know, you probably need to stop doing to get to whatever future state that you want to be in. Are there a handful of those? Mm, I think so. Um, and so one of the one of the important habits that's helped me to really structure my life is and, and this was this was took a while to build a muscle for it was again, like the idea of like weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual reviews. And it's time, right? It's like, go carve out time, go right through the week, go right through the month, go reflect on the quarter. Are you aligned with your goals for the year? And it can be kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. Um, that one took a while to build, but it's now part of like my own personal operating system where like, if I don't do it, I'm going to get a little bit anxious. I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta get it done. Um, 
in terms of the things that you know maybe don't serve me now um i did just cut out a lot of substances um new york's a big drinking city especially a social drinking city so i kind of finally went cold turkey on on drinking and like my energy and my my headspace my memory is like all significantly improved i'm like oh it's gonna be hard to go back um and then same thing with um, with other substances. I think like, you know, in a world of legal weed, it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, pass the joint. It's like, no, I think it's a good time to just like kind of stay focused. So I think some of those like lifestyle and healthcare changes. Um, and the final thing, and this is more of like a style of work evolution, is that as Lunchbox grows, I've had to move from being very much like size up a problem, figure out the solution, build it, go, to now slowing down a really needed needing to create buy-in from my team and creating understanding and just slowing down because every decision made at a different level of scale then has an impact on the business overall that is increasingly magnified. So one of the things I'm trying to unlearn is going from that, hey, you know, I started the company by myself, right? And even before we had our first partner in the business, it was another like almost a year. And I had to go from like still wanting to operate that quickly and moving that fast to now being more careful about like, okay, so we put these processes in place. Like I can't step on my own processes. I want to go fast. Here are the areas I want to dive in into the business, but I have to do it in the right way. And so training that kind of instinctive reaction of like, okay, I see a department that I want to rebuild. I, I can't just do it anymore. I need to lay it out and make sure the team understands what's happening. And so it's, um, you know, it's been interesting to force myself to slow down, but I also am a, deep, a big believer in that like the best CEOs get paid off of like, three to five great decisions they make per year. You've got 365 plus days, you know, it's like, you don't actually need to rush those decisions, but we convinced ourselves that we do with the other things that we take on or the goals that we set. And, and Ben, I'd be curious about kind of how you've handled this now with Smart Theme and, you know, your other creative projects. Platter. Um, platter, 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 platter. Smart Theme presented by Platter. This is an ad for Platter. Um, <laughs> no, by the time this episode is live, it's not going to be called Smart Theme anymore. Oh, right. We have yeah, to move away. It. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Restate yeah. the name, please. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> please call it. <laughs> I mean, so Ben, kind of the same question back to you, though, with uh, juggling platter and birthday party and the Turning Pro podcast. How do you think about juggling all these kind of competing priorities in a way that doesn't end up with conflict between them? I think the biggest thing for me, uh, and I've started to talk about this a little bit on LinkedIn and something that I spend a lot of time on, but I'm obsessed with just the concept of being patient around building infrastructure and op and processes to alleviate time. Like, like give your, I should say, give yourself time back. So for me, like I was joking for the longest time that I've probably made more content than anyone else that just never has put out a piece of content yet. Like I've been working at this infrastructure for almost a year now and I was very patient around how I wanted to do it and how I actually thought about operationalizing it. Cause it's so important for me. Number one, that anything that you're working on is synonymous with anything else. Because if there's something that's disruptive, it's just going to fall apart across the board. Uh, that's number one. I think number two is making sure that you have an alignment with like the people that you're working with. So like my co-founders are very supportive. My co-founders on Platter are very supportive with what I'm doing because they fully understand the value of like what, what you're getting out of it and like where you're trying to go. And I think those are the two main things. And then the last thing is rigorous prioritization. So like that's something that I think I've gotten so much better at. Because when you have a lot of decisions to be made and you have a lot of things to get done naturally, you, there's only one of you and you can only be making so many decisions in real time. And so for me, it's like asking yourself the question of like, what needs to happen today 
in order for like something not to fall apart. So it's this concept of like figuring out where is there a fire, put it out, but getting like really good at that decision-making framework. And then, I mean, I'm realizing now that the concept of just like fueling each other, like different businesses, fueling the others, it's real. Like first guest on our podcast, now a client, uh, one of the brands from the run that I did from Montauk to Manhattan, now a client, like it's still early. Like the podcast isn't even, we're talking about this and it hasn't even gone live yet. Uh, same thing around the vlog, like close to client. It hasn't even gone live yet. And in my mind, when those media channels actually start to grow and it's out in the world, like I think it's just going to compound. And so for me, it's optimizing consistency across the board. Do you need the, do you think that interplay between different projects you have going on is crucial to stay, I don't know, to stay motivated, to stay interested? Because I also see value in, Maybe not hobbies, but also having some projects that have nothing to do with other things you're working on. Uh, for me, it's about curiosity. Um, I think there's enough differentiation in what the projects are, but in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, like, how can I make it be additive and not disruptive and negative for the other things I'm doing? Because at the end of the day, like, when you're working on something else, it's, it's time that's away from the core thing you're doing. But the way that you have a lot of, you know, like I think a good example, it's an extreme example, but like the CEO of Goldman Sachs is a DJ. All those hours he's spending DJing, he could be like, you know, thinking about how he's building his business. But like having a creative outlet, I think is an amazing thing because I also think it allows me to think about things differently and I get new ideas from doing so. So like, you know, some people choose to go party Friday, Saturday night, which is fine if that's what you want to do. But like I'm filming YouTube videos on my weekends and I actually find that to be fun. So I don't know. I think, I think like putting yourself in different situations and not getting stale and how you're operating day to day, like to your point earlier, doing different things. I think it's so important to do to keep yourself sharp and it all stems from curiosity. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, curiosity is a core value that, you know, you and I very much share, maybe all three of us. And part of what I think a lot of people miss about these side projects that aren't part of their main careers is that like, there are still these like local skills in and around the area that you're training that you wouldn't have gotten reps on otherwise. Ben, let's, let's take you for example, right? Like your understanding of media production in the last year has gone up this crazy growth. Dude, the last, the last right? month. I mean, a Adrian in setting up a podcast studio now understands AV at a level he didn't before. Um, and I know like when I, we, had a, we had a creative agency during COVID, like that taught me how to produce media, how to, how to, how to set up a shoot, all the different pieces that go with it. And I, I leverage that skill weekly with Lunchbox in, in terms of creating ads and coming up with like shoots on the fly and then just feeling comfortable in those situations. So the thing that I always come back to is it's like find ways that they can all tie together 100%. It's also just okay to go do it for the learning experience because as human beings, we store our experiences Literally in our, in, our, in our nerves, we store our memories. We also grow from the things that we do. So whether it is putting yourself in a new situation or challenging yourself or, or with, a, with a new project that you're excited about or, again, taking a crazy 100, and 100 plus mile, mile run from Montauk to uh, Times Square, it's like we grow from the adversity we present in front of ourselves, both in skills and experiences and in relationships. So it's no surprise to me Ben, that you would, you would gain clients from this. You're, you're doing things that other people are not, which makes that unique and different in a world where everything seems to be the same. I also think that, uh, to your point about the experiences, there's so many skills that you learn subconsciously 
that there's even like I don't even do a great job of taking a step back and being like, whoa, I did this or I did that. Because sometimes you're just so deep in it and you just have to figure it out and you're just learning on the fly. But when I reflected for the first time from this run, I was like, oh, my God, brought together 37 people, a 17 person production team. And I was responsible for all of those people and how this happened. And I knew nothing about production or media before this. And it worked. And it's like, yeah, am I, does that mean I'm going to make my software company into a production company? No, not at all. But like, there's definitely micro bits of things that I did or learned that help expedite my learning curve to be better off as I move forward along the path of whatever it is that I work on in the future. hundred percent. What are you doing right now? That's making you a little uncomfortable. That's like a little out of your sweet spot. Could be right now or on the horizon. Like we were talking about um international festivals and like burning man of different experiences that even though you're very much in like the music and festival world even that's a little out of your comfort zone um i think learning how to kiteboard is probably uh, up there on that list um i i'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie and i'm <laughs> trying to manage that but you don't say mm, um but i i've appreciated you know, A, being a novice at something again. And I've got a great friend uh, named Marshall Mosher who throws these amazing camps all over the world. And he's like, do you want to go kite the Red Sea? And I'm like, I'd like to be able to say yes to that trip. Um, and so, you know, the idea of like lying with your back in the water with this giant, you know, 12 meter, 13 meter kite over your head that you have to dive at the ground at full speed, pull it back, yanks you out. And then you have to like steer it by diving the kite. I mean, it's very hard to focus on anything else when you're in that experience. And I remember like I was in you know, day two of a kite camp in, in January. And there's this one video of me diving the kite, completely bombed, lose my board. And I just go shoot like, boom, 20 feet off into the distance. Um, the next day, I end up crashing into somebody else's kite. And I, like our kites are entangled and fucking what's called the death loop. And they're, like, you're getting pulled down the water. And I'm getting pulled to this giant rock basin. Where the instructors are like, whatever you do, don't go to the rock basin. Day two, go to the rock basin. And meanwhile, like the waves are smashing up into the side of the rock. I'm like, okay, like if I, if I misplay this, like I, I could be knocked out. I could be seriously hurt. Let's figure it out. I launch my board over the rock and like a seal, I'm like desperately trying to like <laughs> climb onto the rock, smash it in like in my, in, into my, my leg and have this huge bruise for like two weeks, barely get on top, go sit on the beach. And I'm just like, <sighs> but at the same time, like, if I wasn't a novice at that thing, I wouldn't have had that experience and I wouldn't have been able to feel so present in the water. And like at no point during that entire time was I thinking about lunchbox or thinking about work. And so when I was able to come back to those things, I was able to do so with a fresh mind. So that's definitely made me pretty uncomfortable, but I'm loving it. When you're in New York, I found it, uh, I find it's fairly easy to find activities when you're traveling, when you're on, on the road, groups of new friends, you're out of your comfort zone that it's easier to be like, you know what, I'll go do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm in New York or in Brooklyn or Manhattan or whatever it is, and I'm hanging out with you guys or I'm hanging out with our extended group of friends and colleagues, it's I'm on 24-7. And even little things that I'm trying to be present with or like little hobbies like that that pull me in, it's still hard. In the back of my mind, I'm like, all right, I need to do these five things and I need to get on Slack sooner than later yeah. or I want to do this business thing. In New York, how have you yanked yourself out or put yourself Maybe not in uncomfortable positions, but positions that force present. Because I'm struggling with that. That's, uh, listen, you're in New York. We're all going to struggle with that. Uh, this is like one of the most extroverted, everything's happening cities in the world where it's like every single day, like, you know, the, the opportunity cost of missing that lunch or that coffee or that dinner or that phone call, it, it is pretty high. Um, 
so I'd say that there's two things that at least I do that um, that have helped me to kind of regulate that, and and like either like a medium level. The first is you have to have the power to say no and ask yourself like, is this thing essential? And I think we convince ourselves that a lot more is essential than it truly is. And you could, you know, this is a city where you could have seven banging dinners in a row, but it turns out that maybe three of them are actually more important than the others. And, been, and to use a Ben phrase, ruthlessly prioritize saying no to those other things and not feeling bad about it because saying no to those things is saying yes to being able to be fully present at a founder dinner that you're excited about or a friend's birthday dinner, or maybe you see a family member, right? That's the first thing. Um, and not feeling bad about saying no. The second thing lives in the world of FOMO, right? I mean, social media has elevated people's experiences at, at levels that we've really never seen before. You've traded the, you know, the flashy Porsche to Instagram stories about the Porsche or where you're at or you're in Miami or whatever else. Um, and so with FOMO, there's actually uh, a, a relatively stoic way to approach it, which is to say that like, hey, if I wanted to be somewhere, I'd be somewhere, I'd be there. If I wanted to be at Formula One, I'd be at Formula One. If I wanted to be at our Basel, I'd be at our Basel. Like every, this group of people in particular, resourceful people. Like if I said, hey, get to this point on the world and I put a pin in a globe, this group of three people could figure out how to do it in a matter of days. Then we'd get an RV. <laughs> I, like, I think I'm out on that at this point. Ben, 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 would, ben would show up to the location with a full-on like solar campsite. Um, but, but the point is, it's just like, if we have that agency, we have that choice. And so we can say, oh, like, I wish I was at X, Y, Z. But it's like, yeah, but if you wanted to be there, you'd be there. And then if you didn't want to be there, then maybe there was something that was more important and more pressing that you said yes to that was more aligned with your current goals. So ultimately, you put it back in, in your court. You're in control. I think it's uh, discipline and maturity. Because when you're, you know, 22-year-old Tom in this city for the first time, you're a yes man because you just like, you don't know what else to do. And you're like, this is cool. And this is cool. And this is cool. And you do all these things. And then in your mind, you think you're doing so much, but you're actually doing nothing. And I think it takes that level of maturity to say no and know that it's the right decision and, and be okay with it. Right. It's like you say no to going out that night and you don't actually go home and just sit on Instagram and watch videos of people who all went to the place that you said you weren't going to. Um, I think that's a good segue into talking about the concept of this podcast, which is turning pro. Right, like, what were the moments in your life where you, looking back, were like, I took things to the next level? And as Adrian and I like to describe, you get up from one poker table and go to a more higher stakes one because you're you're elevating yourself. Hmm. I think uh, there are probably like three different moments. Um, the one of the first was when when I was in college. Kind of, you had referred to like the Friday and Saturday nights. Um, when I was in college, junior year, Wake Forest University, big Greek presence. Um, I just kind of got fed up with the idea that every single one of my weekends was ending the same way, right? It was like the fraternity party and like, we're gonna have a good time and they're gonna listen to music, but it was like the same music with the same people and the same weekend. It was like this Hotel California loop. I was like, God damn, this is so unfulfilling. And so um, I ended up calling one of my fraternity brothers. I'm like, hey, like, why don't we start a business this, this year? Like, let's, let's find something. And that business ended up being a kind of like a campus and supplywear business where we sold shoelaces to girls who had these Chuck Taylor shoes and phone wallets that we retailed to 25 stores across the country and little bracelets that we like and that got us in the world of licensing now was that business a smash hit success hell no but for the first time I was like wait a second like you can line up all these different departments of marketing and product and finance and accounting and that was like this big aha moment for me where was the business a great business no but did it teach me to start thinking in that way yeah so I think that was a big level up 
And then coming out of school, um, I also was very aware of my shortcomings as a builder. And I was like, wow, like, you know, I've gotten a finance degree from a good university, but like, I don't really want to go on Wall Street. What do I do with it? And so I ended up uh, calling this guy named Dhruva Rajendra, who uh, was one of the co-founders of Latch, which is a public company today. Um, they make these brilliant commercial smart locks that are really popular in New York buildings and um, have become really popular, especially as Airbnb has risen. And so I was like, you know what? This guy thinks and, and, and sees the world in such a unique way. It's like, how can I be in that room? So I called him. I'm like, listen, I will work for you for free uh, just for the opportunity to learn from you. And a few months later, he was nice enough to put me on the payroll. But I ended up working with him for you know, about a year and a half. And just you know, like, he's like, all right, go find me 1,000 users on this app that we're building. Go figure out how we're going to go close $100,000 of business this month. Go figure out how we're going to grow this cohort of users to the next level. And, like, and, and, and in doing so, he put me through like this experimentation framework where like, I understood what agile development was. I understood how to experiment and measure results. I understand how to interview people. And then immediately taking that skill set, um, you know, in 2018, I'd say like the third moment was right after a music festival called Ultra Music Festival, where, you know, given that the, those two prior pieces of context, again, coming back to we learn from our experiences, um, then having a day where, you know, we're at a major music festival and our bags get taken by security for not following the bag policies for being too big. They weren't. Um, we go to the water lines, we stand in these hour long water lines because everybody's got like their dad's camping and hydration pack that takes several minutes to refill because it's not adapted for rapid refill. It's like, you know, you want to use it in your kitchen, whatever. And then finally, at the end of the day, we had our friends have their phones get stolen and we're walking out of this major music festival that people have paid good money to be at and often the first dollars of their disposable income. And we're like, why isn't the experience living up to what people paid for? And so that third moment for me was saying, hey, I think there's something here. And then beginning to nights and weekends while working for Druva, um, designing the lunchbox, interviewing hundreds of people, going through different festivals, and then skipping the festival and just walking around the campsite. I'm like, I've got my captive audience here that I can just get insane reps on. Like, you know, do you care about security at events? Have you, have you ever had issues with, with phone loss? Have you ever had an issue with the waterline, whatever else? And that led to the blueprint of the, the Lunchbox Hydration Pack, which is our hero product today and, 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 you know, festival crowds all over the country and hopefully the world. So each one of my kind of three different experiences were tied to trying something new or taking a risk. Maybe that d didn't resonate with my peers who were going to go work at Frito-Lay or Barclays or investment banking um, or just trying to take that risk. And like, no matter what, I knew that even if I failed, even if everything went to zero, even if Lunchbox goes to zero. I'll have learned from those experiences and, and then that will become kind of like this core part of who I am. And it's in chasing those experiences that I've had those turning pro moments over time. So if you could go back and tell 18 year old Tom something that you wish you knew then that you know now, what would it be? It's okay to do the thing that you want to do. You don't have to do it because other people are doing it. Same question to you, Adrian. What would you tell yourself at 18? Damn good question. Put me on the spot. Probably always, always lead with empathy and kindness no matter what, in every single interaction. Because most of the time, even I experience this now, most of the time when someone's a little angry or like a little annoyed at you or something or just have an attitude, they're just dealing with shit. They're always dealing with shit. It could be at home, it could be personal, it could be they just got in a fight with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Um, usually anger doesn't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to approach that. Now we're almost a 10-person team. We have worked with like 100-plus teams now constantly. Uh, most of our day to days is dealing with people, right? It's okay. Problem brought to you by X person. 
Tom's job to deal with it and to route resources the right way. And so showing up to every interaction, I wish I knew that better. Whether friends in college or like first colleagues out of college, I wish I knew that anytime. Usually people are just showing up with their own baggage. It's like, hey, it's okay. I understand where you're coming from. Um, let's just talk about this as friends. Let's try to like problem solve together. What about you? I mean, I think I have a couple, but like if I were to draw on one right now in the current moment of my life, it would be like seeking out uncomfortable situations is a good thing. It usually means you're growing. Uh, don't shy away from it. I think like oftentimes I see people do the thing that feels comfortable because it's easy. And typically when you're in that state of mind, you're not actually growing and forcing yourself outside of your comfort zone. And for me, like reflecting on the last couple of years, like I think a lot of the leaps and bounds that I've made both both personally and professionally have been because I forced myself to do things I was curious about that were scary that like prevented me from doing it for the longest time. What are you scared about right now? Right now? Um... What keeps you up? Like, ah, fuck. Maybe this won't work. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's continuing to like stay consistent, right? Like I'm I'm doing a lot right now and I'm exerting a lot of energy and I think that I want to be able to sustain this. And so for me, it's like continuing to find every little micro way to make an improvement, whether it's giving myself back ten minutes every day or empowering someone else to be a little bit more productive. Uh, because I know that like in the journey that I'm in right now, I'm actually in its infancy stage across the board on all the things that I'm working on. Right. Like I think by the time this episode is live, what I'm going to be saying is a past tense, but like the podcast is probably going to launch in September, August or September, the YouTube channel is launching in August. Uh, the rebrand with platter is launching early September. Right. So like, these are things that I've been working on for like over a year, collect almost two years collectively. And like nothing has actually really hit the public eye yet. And so like, it's going to be more important now than ever to be able to stay consistent because now you're going to get real world feedback on a level that you never have. And I need to be able to be reactive. and I need to be able to stay on top of my game to continue to, to capitalize on the opportunistic things that will come of it, but also to be able to handle like the negative things that are co- going to come from it. Uh, and so for me, it's like just making sure that I'm staying consistent and finding ways to do so. Um, as you, you laid out some of kind of like your turning pro moments, for lack of a better term, at each of, let's remember on the most recent one, where you kind of leveled up in some way, personally, professionally, maybe that's over the past few years, right? What have you had to sacrifice in that process of turning pro or taking certain things more seriously yeah i think um the dinner series uh for me is um was a bit of an interesting ride where like i've never really like thrown events of that size before and i kind of nuked my social life in 2022 just so i could kind of pull it off where you know it's it's coordinating groups of 20 to 25 founders in like 10 different locations with full logistics i was also running event media after movies and I think that like the first time I sat down at a table with people and I'm like, all right, you know, I, I, I took a, I took a, a page out of Noah Friedman's book, a friend of ours. Uh, I was like, all right, let's, let's introduce everybody in the room. And I love pitching. It's like one of my favorite things in the entire world. And, and I just went around and ripped 20 pitches of everybody's company in the room. And it, it, for me, I was like, I have no idea if I'm gonna be able to pull this off. I don't know if I'm gonna stutter. I don't know if I'm gonna mess it up. Um, but then when I, when I was done and then, you know, led like kind of like the questions over the course of the dinner, I'm like, oh, okay, that's something I can do. And I think getting over that moment of, of, you know, butterflies and like the discomfort and then actually like leaning into that 
now it's just like an autopilot feature I have. But, but at one point it was uncomfortable. And so I think that like there was the sacrifice of like, okay, what else am I giving up? Well, I'm giving up um, friends, time with my friends, time with my family. I'm giving up the ability to enjoy New York City. But I was like, yeah, but like I'm growing as a result of it. And, and now I have like this insane network that spans all over the United States of like top direct to consumer founders and retail founders where, you know, I'll help them however I can. And I know that the same is the uh, same is true for me. But like, I wouldn't have had that if I didn't make that decision. So those two moments were being uncomfortable at the head of that table and like, all right, is this something I can do? And then the second part is also like leaning in and saying, hey, this is more important to me right now because later on I want to be able to take the time to be slower with my friends and my family and, and with my hobbies. And so it's really the choice. How do you think about work-life balance and like delineating between like business and personal or do you see those as one and the same? What is work-life balance? Um, this is personal. This is your social life, right here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like a little bit. This back. is what I do for fun. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. no. I mean, like I hung out with my friends Friday morning. I didn't work. Uh, yeah, I, but I mean, like I mean, <laughs> that 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 is a little bit of the narrative. Yeah. Um, so I've noticed that um, if I'm doing nothing, I'm I'm uncomfortable, which is something I'm working on. And so my my work life balance is like, all right. So I've got like my work life where it's like, all right, we've got our revenue targets. We've Hold on, one. Doing nothing is an amazing thing. You should challenge yourself to do more of nothing. I, I can coming like, from I can someone. Like read, I can write. Like I like sit that in stillness for just ten minutes a day and just like do it. It's an yeah. I, I suck at it, which is why it's easy for me to yeah, tell yeah, you to I do it. Say, I was gonna say that the pot called the kettle black here, Ben. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but one of the uh, one of the things that I've realized is that okay, work life balance for me is like uh, maintaining those routines, occasionally taking a, a, week, a full like a full weekend off. Um, I'm I'm generally on for six days a week, and like it's one of those things where it's like I realize that work life balance for me is like I still love bringing people together personally and professionally. And so the ways I do relax and recharge is, for example, like we're starting up a new concept right now called Reading Rhythms, where New York it's really hard to just like go read somewhere. Because everyone's like, come to my birthday party, come to this, come to that. And so we're starting to create these mindful spaces that are like these DJ affairs where you just kind of group up with people and you read. And you look around Such and, a and, crazy and concept. everybody's reading. And for like 15 minutes, then you'll talk about like, you know, what is a concept that you're excited about with the book with the person next to you? Then you read again. That's it. And then at the end, everybody shares one thing with, with their, um, from their book with the entire group uh my roommate ben now like turned into like this incredible freestyler so he'll freestyle rap, rap recap the entire thing and and like for me like that is the life part of my work-life balance it's like i'm still coordinating people and getting people over and everything else but like that to me is really fulfilling and so like when people say work-life balance it's not like doing things not doing things it's like Doing things that, okay, you need to do because you're on a schedule and quarterly plans and you've got investor money at, in, in, at hand. And then also doing things in your personal life that align with your values that make you feel like you're able to fully express. And so for me, it's about holding the tension between those. And, and I think you've done a good job with that with the podcast and birthday party. Again, these are stressful as hell things. But it's worth it. Yeah, I can't agree more. I think something that you mentioned around giving what, what you have to give up or what you have to trade off to be able to do these things is so important and that just really stuck with me because so many people will see like if i just met you and i see you uh, everything you're doing and i'm so impressed and then i also see you posting on instagram or twitter or whatever it is i'm like fuck he's got it all and i think it's really important for people to be able to say like no like i didn't really have a social for a year because um, no one wants to talk about that right 
Um, I'm like, hey, no, there are trade-offs. Did I learn all these skills? Do I have this killer dinner party series that everyone talks about? Do I have this thriving business? Do I have all these other side projects I'm working on? But like, they're trade-offs. And I think a lot of people don't want to talk about those. I'm curious for you two right now. You have so much going on. Like, what are, what are you aware of that you're like, for the time being, I'm going to put aside? So there's two points I want to make. Um, I think the first one, it's just like ironic timing. I actually went for a walk last night with my best friend, and he looked me in the eyes. He's like, I'm probably one of the only people in your life who feels comfortable saying this to you, but like, you need to put more energy into the relationships you care about. Uh, he's like, I don't give a shit how busy you are. I don't care what you're doing. Like if relationships are slipping, like you can't blame anyone but yourself because you're doing so much right now that, and I, I'm the one who says this that I have to actually act it is like, you always make time for the things that matter to you and like your priorities. I hate when someone's like, Oh, I don't have time. It's like if the founder of Netflix had time to go to dinner with his wife at 5 PM every Tuesday from the moment he built the company till now, like you can find time also. Um, so I think that's the first thing is like, relationship management is very difficult when you're moving at a million miles a minute all the time because I don't I don't have 15 minutes on a Tuesday at two o'clock to just be like texting about you know like what the Buffalo Bills just did on their trade like yeah maybe I do but it's I've weighed too many things going on that I was gonna say I feel like no, for that one in particular no but truly though it's like like there's things that will just slip by me because it's just not the top priority um so that's like the first thing and then the other thing is that and I'm curious how you guys feel about this I don't care what anyone says, like building is lonely. Like it is building your own thing when you're on your own path. Yeah. Like you have friends to talk to about and you have people you can lean on. But like when you're trying to build out a vision that no one else really understands to the level in which you do, like there are moments where it's like, you know, sitting in your room at 11 PM working on like an investor update by yourself. Like there's moments where I'm like, damn, this is, this is a little bit lonely, but like you the trade-off is doing those things to then enable yourself to be in situations like this where it's so fulfilling and it's so amazing but the thing that people don't see when they're watching this podcast episode is the other things you're doing to allow yourself to have the opportunity to do this yeah i think even things as small as i was hanging out with karina last night we were watching tv we're hanging out we're about to watch the next episode and i was like it was like 10 it was very early and i was like i gotta go to bed He's like, why? I'm like, I got the podcast tomorrow and I'm going to be filming all day. And so I need to wake up really early and like knock out the shit because all of us doing this right now is us not working on our business. Right? It's like Friday in the morning, right? We should probably be doing that. And so it's a trade off that again, no one sees, but it's like, hey, I just like can't do this right now. I think as long as you're, as, as long as you A, are aware of the trade offs and are comfortable with them and also communicate to people that really care about you. And it could be a romantic relationship. It could be your family. Like, hey, I can't go on this trip and I may not be as in touch as I should be right now because the next two months, like for you coming up, August, September, hey, this is going to be a sprint. And so even little things, like if I'm not responding to you right away, I'm not being rude. I just like got a lot on my plate. And I think communicating that proactively to people that care about you um, is really, really important. How do you, I'm actually curious how you think about relationship management just in general uh, in terms of, identifying the people in your life where it's it needs to be a much more frequent touch base versus those friends where it's like you might not talk for two months but when you do it's like you guys never left and you were together yesterday is like the feeling you get mm. do you have a framework for how you think about relationship management because i mean even with you as, as well with like hosting these dinners you're you're talking to hundreds of people all the time and it's impossible to keep the same level of relationship across the board like what are your levers or like frameworks that you use to help you ensure that you're not like letting a relationship slip and 
slip is a loose term, but in terms of where you think that relationship should be relative to where it might net out? No, it's a good question. I think most A players give other people the benefit of the doubt that they're freaking busy. And so, you know, if we haven't talked for two, three days, like my relationship with either of you guys doesn't change. If we haven't talked for three weeks, my relationship with you guys doesn't change. If we haven't talked for a year, okay, that's a different story. But like the, the fact of the matter is, you know, within the types of people that we're cultivating, everybody understands because they're busy too. Now, the flip side of that is like, all right, well, if you want to have a lot of one-to-many surface area, then that's where I think it is helpful to be a gregarious gatherer, right? Where you are the one saying, hey, you know, I've got dinner tonight. Who can have dinner with me where not only are they going to get value from you know, meeting each other, but I also get to see multiple people that I care about, right? And it's kind of like the twofer. Or it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to have a, a rooftop thing tonight. And like, who, who would enjoy the topics that we're going to discuss and bring those people together? So a lot of like my... I don't want to say networking because that's not the right label, but like a lot of the ways that I collect people and like to connect people is through these community oriented events. Because again, like then I can walk around and have 20 great conversations with people where now I don't have to have 20 coffees in the next month. Right. It's like, and now I can reserve those slots for people I'm meeting for like the first time, or maybe that is more of a business context, but people I'm comfortable with who are welcome in my space on a routine basis. I want them to be there. And they also, by the way, because I've self-selected type of people I spend my time with, chances are there's a 90% plus hit rate on you're going to have a great conversation with somebody else at an event that I'm throwing if we are aligned values. And so I think it's really just treating the social events that you invest in. And again, there are some logistics around it, as this guy knows, but, um, but it's worth it. Yeah. I think something I'm trying to get better at is specifically organizing athletic groups. You're very good at this. You're probably good at this because you're very athletic. But I always kind I, of athletic. Yeah, uh, get, get, get Ben on a get tennis back. court, and we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I, my my default reaction is always let's get a dinner together, let's get a coffee together. The one time we did a running group, Tom slept in. But increasingly, uh, you're very good at this. But like, I connect with people so much just through like sweating together and like going through hard shit together, especially like a grueling workout or something like that. Um, like I've only met your roommate once or twice yep. and I already consider him a friend literally just because we like, we, we, we ran together and then we just raced for like 20 minutes. Love it. Um, and immediately I was like, all right, you're my boy. Cool. Um, you can hit me up whenever I'm sure we'll collaborate. And just that, that connection goes so much deeper than just like a coffee in the morning or something. Yeah. So there's two points to make. I think the first one is I didn't even think about that at all until I stopped drinking. Mm. Uh, I think the sobriety piece was a recalibration around using fitness as a means of networking. And I think the second one is that like a very easy way to either weed out people or identify high performers is finding the ones who are down to do hard things for fun. Yeah. As crazy as it sounds like dude sitting in an RV for a day and a half with John Corn, who's a CMO of athletic greens and like watching this motherfucker run 30 plus miles at a sub seven minute pace was just like, one of the most badass things I've ever seen. This guy's got responsibilities across a billion dollar company, yet he's choosing to do this for fun. He kind of just like agreed, didn't know what he was showing up to do. I'm like, that's so inspiring. But like, those are also the type of people that you want to spend your time with. Well, again, it depends what you enjoy and what your preferences are. But for me, based on like the trajectory where I'm going, those are the type of people that I want to surround myself with. Mm-hmm. And so I think like when you stay committed to who you are as an individual and force yourself to continue to do the things you like to do, you'll just do a better job of finding the people, finding people to do the things you want to do instead of like, uh, 
doing other things at the expense of staying true to yourself. Yeah. So it's like saying yes to go get a drink with someone, even if that's not actually how you want to spend your time. You're in the driver's seat of actually bringing people into the activities you want to do instead of being like a sheep and following along. Mm. Over the next, for you, for the rest of H2 2023, what is what are you most excited about? What are a handful of things that you're excited about but a little uncomfortable with that you've never done before? Business, personal, whatever. Uh, hmm. And on the business side, you know, Lunchbox has been really an organic company for the last five years, and it's been wonderful to see that community build, but, you know, really flexing our uh, paid media muscles and, like, diving into that problem, like, full tilt has been um, uncomfortable because it's forcing me to learn skills that I don't necessarily have down pat, but I will very soon, and I, I've, been, I've been lucky to be mentored by some great people along the way. That's been a, a big one, and, like, that also is going to determine how we expand into the U.K. and Australia, whether that's viable or not. So I've got a lot riding on, like, how is that going to work? Uh, and then on the personal side, uh, I've been in just kind of, like, this insane learning sprint this year. Like, I'm putting down, like, a book a week right now, and, like, I'm socializing less um, as a result to, to do so. Um, touching up on corporate finance skills. I'm blasting through a textbook right now. Um, a lot of just, like, a lot of just, you know, reading. You're saying these things so casually, dude. That's bananas. I do. It, it, it's a it's a learning time, you know. It's like it just it feels like a tw- textbook. Yeah, no. Well, it, I had it from before. It's not like no. I that's not the point. It's it. the fact that you're like, wow. I commend you. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'm I'm very much someone who's learn. I learn by doing in real world situations. Like, I can't get myself to spend time building like hypothetical shit. So if like by a textbook, like you're reading how to build a DC a discounted cash flow model, and you're literally just building one just to build it to learn it. Like that's so impressive that you're finding the discipline to sacrifice other things to, to do that. I commend you for that. Yeah. Um, and then I think the final thing is, and, and this is the most uncomfortable thing is actually saying no to opportunities. Um, and that's been the weirdest ones. Like, because the network is spread out the way it is, like I, I see a lot of really cool things that I want to be involved in. And the way my mind works is I can visualize what it looks like and how it's going to work and all these things. I'm like, but no, I can't be involved right now. And I'm really trying to put my energy into Lunchbox and, and get that to where it needs to be. And Ben, this is something you and I have talked about extensively. So honestly, I'd say the most uncomfortable thing that I keep saying this year is saying no. I honestly, I think I could have answered that question for him. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it, like the shiny object syndrome is something that Tom and I talked about a lot. And oh my God. Tom called me a couple months ago and he was like, dude, I cut out all the shit. Like it's Lunchbox. And I was like so excited to hear it because I when he operates, he operates. And the fact that he's still making progress with all the other things he was doing, like I'm a social person. Tom is me times 10. <laughs> uh, and so to hear that it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I'm very appreciative of that, of those park walks. Ben and I, over the course of like three months, we're like, all right, things that we need to knock out, fix Tom's overcommitment, figure <laughs> out what we're going to name platter, figure out how we're going to turn smart theme into the next big thing. uh, It's been, it's been a lot of fun, but that wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it. We have a few minutes left here. I have a couple questions that I've asked a lot of our previous guests because I just love the answers we get. But one is, um, what do you No, These are, these are actually going against the grain. Uh, What do you think are the three consistencies of high performers? Um, Holding their word sticking to a schedule and finding creative outlets. And then another question I had is what's one class in college you wish you would have paid more attention to? Oof. Um, quantitative analysis in, in my finance degree. 
it was one of those things where, you know, there may have been a test bank that was available as a result of my fraternity. And I was like, oh, this is fine. And then literally two years out, I was kicking myself. I'm like, right now I need to relearn bid selection. I'm like, why, why couldn't I just pay attention the first time around? So there are no shortcuts. We're going rapid fire. What's the best advice your father ever gave you? Damn. Your face right now is iconic. It's gonna be the front Clip of that. <laughs> That's the thumbnail in this episode. Um, yeah, like... Um, if this is the path you choose, do it right. What's your biggest regret? I don't live in a world of regrets. Ooh, if, if lunchbox love. if lunchbox fails, why? Because I didn't focus enough. It's a damn good answer. I got one. Top three favorite artists currently, all time. <laughs> currently, all time. <laughs> currently, all time. Uh, I'll give you my top three um, of like. All music, the Red Hot Chili Peppers is definitely in my top three. Yep. Uh, DJ named Lane Eight definitely in my top three, and then I'd say the last is probably. Oh man, like there's like 15 people competing for that third spot right now. Oh, there can only be one third. Lumineers. Okay, and what's your favorite festival? Uh, Electric Forest in Rothbury, Michigan. And who's one artist you haven't seen yet that you wish you could or you will? Very quick. Right again. You've never seen Fred again? I, I've hung out with him, but I've never <laughs> seen him. <laughs> so did you get tickets for the show in Forest Hills? Uh, I, I'm considering it, but we've got ACL immediately afterwards, so uh, it's a bit of a send. Got it. What's one thing that you want the listeners to know that you want them to walk away from this episode with? Mm. Doing what feels good is actually a really good barometer of the things that work in life, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's in your professional life, whether it is in the places that scare you. Uh, trust your gut. Your gut knows more than you could possibly ever imagine. And when you lean into the things that feel good, chances are you find more things that feel good on the other side. Uh, I left Tom's birthday the other week. This is just a side tangent because I think you'll find this funny. But I left your birthday the other week. And sorry, Mom, for saying this. But it's the closest I've ever gotten to wanting a tattoo. Uh, I met one of your friends. I forgot her name. Charlotte? Charlotte. Uh, I met your friend Charlotte. We love Charlotte. And... I don't even know how this came up. I think we were talking about Ryan's tattoos, my roommate. He's sorry to his mom too. He's got a ton of those. If somehow she hears this, uh, but she made a comment about something that like resonated with her, and it was all your intuitions are true. Mm. All your intuitions are true. And when she said that to me, I was like, in my mind, I go, I would love to just read that on my leg every yep. single ben, day. I think you would look great that. with a tram stamp. Um, I don't know. I ha- I don't have any tattoos. I'm not opposed to it, but I just don't. And that's the closest I've gotten. Yeah. Actually, last question. We'll wrap up here. If you were to get a, a tattoo, do you have any? I do have a Your tattoo. Your next tattoo, what would it be? I do. My next tattoo, or you want to hear about my existing tattoo? Next. Um, I think my, my next tattoo would be the phrase, be here now, in, on like my wrist or inside my finger or whatever, and constantly just this reminder to be present in every moment. Like, is my attention wavering? Be here now. Am I like looking at my phone? No, be here now. Am I, you know, like looking away at, at a dinner? Be here now and constantly using that to re-anchor myself in the present. Love that. Tom, this cool. has been awesome, man. Appreciate you coming on. If you want to look at the camera, let the people know where they could find you, both you personal and professionally. Yeah, you can, uh, you can find Lunchbox at lunchboxpacks.com and we're at lunchboxpacks on all channels. Um, on Twitter, I am at T-Z-W-O-R. And on Instagram, I am at realtomwar, R-E-A-L-T-O-M-W-O-R. And uh, to Ben and Adrian, thank you guys so much for having me on the pod. Love you guys' insightful and thoughtful questions as always, and can't wait for the next one. Thank you, sir.
Cut. Cut. Can Good? I? Can I ask you guys for a favor, actually? Yeah, what's up? Do you want to clip something? No, I, I do. I, can, I, can, can you ask me yeah, uh, a story about festival theft? Because I actually need to... I need, yeah, what, whatever I, clips you need. I need, some, uh, yeah, some, yeah. I need some ad reads of me talking about theft of festivals. And I need like a couple versions. Cool. So it would be amazing if I could just rip through like three of those. You want your like, shirt like this? Do you want it? You good? Do you want your shirt down? <laughs> I don't know what your festival audience is. No, no, it's fine. Do you want okay. to take it off? If you're I using this for, you, an, I can get you one of my party shirts to be on change. Uh, you're using this for an ad read. I want it to be useful. Yeah. Do you want me to get you a lunchbox back? Um, st- no, I'm good for now. So basically, just, it would be helpful. If <laughs> Tell you me more me. about do, festival theft. Yeah, like, do, like, do, do people is, is theft really a problem at festivals? Cool. One, two, three. Which is is theft really a problem at festivals? So what's crazy is that people walk into festivals with these thousand dollar iPhones, and then they're surprised when they're at Target or people want to take them away. I think one of, the, uh, one of the things that led to us starting Lunchbox is because we wanted to help people protect their phones and protect their belongings because all of a sudden that $500 festival ticket becomes a $1,500 festival ticket if a phone's stolen. And instead of spending day three listening to your favorite artist, now you're at the Verizon store or the AT&T store with no way to contact your mom, no way to get in touch with your friend, you can't get back into your Airbnb, you can't call your Uber home, your weekend is shut down. And it's kind of crazy how it happens. You've got gangs of pickpockets that will go in and slice bags. One person will distract you while the other person yanks your phone out of a back pocket. Sometimes it's as easy as, you know, if somebody's looking at the stage with their backpack open, somebody will reach in and pretend like they're on their phone and walk away with your devices. And it's truly become an epidemic where recently at Beyond Wonderland in California, uh, one thief was caught with over 300 phones and there's this viral video of all these different phones and this huge pile on the ground. That is an insane amount of merchandise value. But more importantly, that's 300 people's lifelines to their friends, to the media from the weekend, to their memories that they're never gonna get back. So we built Lunchbox to help people protect their belongings, but most, most importantly, secure your phone at events because everybody's holding this VIP $1,000 item that really changes everything, especially when it's lost. Love it. Right. 300? Dude, isn't that That's crazy. a true story? Yeah. Um, Holy shit. You want a different variant? Yeah, give me, give me um, like, um, like, have you ever been a victim of theft festivals? Have you ever personally been a victim of theft festivals? Yeah, yeah. I, I was... Blown away, I was at Okeechobee in uh, in 2016, which is this amazing music festival in Florida, and I was with a couple of different friends, and somebody was had walked in front of me, and they started screaming, "Phone, phone!" So we all start looking around, but what, when somebody screams "phone," you start tapping your pockets, and you give away the location of your phone. All of a sudden, we turned around, and then we're like, "Wait, where's our phone?" And three of us in our group had been hit, just yanked out of pockets, bags, whatever else. We given away our location, and these guys were gone. And I think the thing that blows my mind is that this isn't an infrequent occurrence. This happens at festivals all over the country. This happens at nightclubs. This happens at bars. Remember, the $1,000 iPhone that has a ton of secondary market value, so it's a target. And more importantly, it's your lifeline, right? It's the way you call your Uber home. It's the way you're getting to an after party. It's the way you're sharing media with your friends. It's the way you're calling your mom after the event, if you're calling your mom after the event. So I think for us, like, that was a big reason of why we were inspired to start Lunchbox to help people secure their belongings when they were in crowds so they can focus on the experience that they're having rather than being so focused on losing the $1,000 iPhone that is their lifeline to the world. Okay, uh, let's do one more. Yeah, what do you want? Um, maybe this one is about... I liked a variation of the first one. Um, maybe ask me, does, does theft really happen in that event? And I'll talk about like Coachella. Does theft really happen at events? Yeah, one more time with a little bit more give. Does theft really happen? <laughs> All right, Tom, does theft really happen at events? 
Festival goers don't know this, but every single time somebody's going to a festival, they probably have a $1,000 iPhone on them. And it is a target, whether it's Coachella or Lollapalooza or ACL. Every single year, there are these crazy reports that come out of hundreds of phones stolen at ACL, hundreds of phones stolen at Coachella. And people don't realize it's every single year. And that's just the phones that we know got stolen. So yeah, people go to events just to take attendees' phones while they're on a substance, while they're intoxicated, while they're not focused or even just purely pickpocketed because every one of those phones has value on the secondary market. But worst off, all these attendees, this is their lifeline to their friends, to their families, to the Airbnb that they're going to go stay at, to the Uber that's going to take them home. So not only are they at Target because of these valuable items, but now these poor attendees, unfortunately, can't even connect to the world in the same way. So now their mom's panicked because they can't hear from them. Now their friends are like, where's Cynthia? Where's Amanda? Where's Jack? Where's Ben? And it causes real problems, especially in the live event world. And so that's a big part of the reason why we created Lunchbox Packs, which was to create secure products to help lock down your phone at events, get into the different venues, improve your live event experiences. But instead of being so worried about where's your phone or where's your wallet, listen, it's safe, it's secure. Enjoy the experience the way it's meant to be enjoyed because you deserve that.